In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is that why you are here? Episode 16, we talk about Luana Mayfield's Facebook post, police and fire, sidewalks, and our affordable housing vote? Welcome to episode 16 of R&D in the QC. We have just had a very long meeting that I falsely thought was going to be a very short meeting. And, uh, but we've got a lot to talk about. It feels we? like a long time since last week's episode. Everything feels like a long time. A lot now. has happened. Um, a so lot. I guess while we were finishing up last week's episode, uh, we, we have to acknowledge it because everyone else is in the country has acknowledged it. While we were finishing up last week's episode, um, a Facebook post went out. And mm. so we'll, we'll touch on that and then we'll get into the business of tonight's meeting. Um, so obviously, everyone by now, if you listen to this podcast, I'm guessing you also glance at the news from time to time. Everybody knows our colleague um, Luana Mayfield, Councilwoman Mayfield from District 3, posted a link to a 9-11 conspiracy theory post, um, and then the internet proceeded to explode. To explode. Um, so, you know, I think we've both weighed in on it, touch on it on the show. I don't want to belabor the point, and if the story is close to ending its life in the news cycle. I'm content to let it do so, because uh, frankly, I'm tired of fielding questions about it. Um, I'll, uh, I know we'll both weigh in, but I honestly, it was it was a puzzling post to most of us. Obviously, the content of the post, uh, the content of the story that it was linked to is absurd. Um, and, and I, you know, completely disagree with the decision to make the post. I do respect my colleague. Uh, I do appreciate that, that people have the right to free speech, but I do think as elected officials, we've got an obligation um, to be mindful of the things we post. And it, it was a mistake. And I think to some extent she's acknowledged that, to some extent maybe not. Um, <laughs> feel free to weigh in. And, yeah. and, I'd, and then I'd prefer to move on. Yeah, no, I want to move on too. You and I have discussed this and, you know, I, but both of us definitely like Luana as a person. I think I think I can speak for both of us on that behalf. Um, I'll tell you one thing though. Um, you know, when this first came out, I made a decision. I'm not going to waste any time on it. I made one tweet, which basically was like, with all the stuff we have going on, um, I have no time, not a second to spare for nonsense. And I was going to leave it at that. And then you know, as it kept evolving, two two things kind of bothered me a little bit. What one was. Um, you know, Council, Council Member Mayfield really doubled down uh, in her both her rebuttal and in her her um, her flashpoint um, interview, and you know it was almost strange to the point of like not not an- dodging the question of did planes actually hit the tower? 
So there was that. And then I still, I was just going to kind of go away from it and say whatever. But then something started really bothering me when I started getting a, a, a couple of emails here and there. I got a lot of emails, but one or two here and there, one or two voicemails and some social media posts of people who legitimately were feeding into this. So l- let me just, I don't know if people actually believe that out there. And I also don't know and I'm concerned if there are people in town around here who look at some of these things and and maybe aren't as well connected to the facts or reality and maybe believe or, or give this credence. So let me just go to this point right now and say, I, I not only um, disagree with that sentiment and that post, I condemn it. I absolutely condemn the, the basis of, of what was said and the fact it was said at all. And I don't think I can say that in strong enough words. If there is anyone out there who thinks that that conspiracy theory is true or that it's okay to do that and, and hurt so many people in our community who have lost, you know, that, uh, l- let me just go on the record saying I condemn it and do your homework because that is not a real thing. Uh, and, and I also felt compelled to um, not just go with no comment, uh, which, you know, might have been the logical choice in some people's minds, but I think uh, as a Democrat, many of us, chastise the, the folks in Congress, the Republicans in Congress or in the Senator in, in D.C. in general who don't speak up when uh, our current president posts something that's just demonstrably untrue. And so I think for me to be able to, con- to con- for me to be able to continue um, to say that, you know, a Paul Ryan, a Mitch McConnell, a, a whoever should come out and say that something that's been posted by our president is uh, is out of line or untrue or whatever, uh, I feel like I have to hold myself to that standard as well. So Do anyway. you get the sense that she believes the planes did not hit the tower? I don't, I don't think she believes that. But, I again, I, I think enough time has been spent on it. It just so happens yeah. that it was seven days ago now. But, uh, you know, we obviously didn't know that it had been posted when we were finishing our show last week. Uh, and it would be... Um, odd of us that have not mentioned it this week, but uh, hopefully by uh, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully this is the last you'll hear of this story. Yes, yes. And again, just to reiterate, I think both of us absolutely like Luan as a person. And we, we, we thought twice about even talking about it on the episode here uh, because, you know, we don't want to damage our relationship. But for me personally, this has gotten to a point where someone's got to come out and say say specifically, you know, this is not what we're all about. This well, is not I, real. One thing I know about Luana is if she listens to this or someone tells her about it, it will not hurt her feelings that we disagree with what she did. That's right. No, she, <laughs> so she likes free she, thinkers, clearly. She is uh, <laughs> probably largely unconcerned with you and I's opinions of, of uh, that post. So anyway, on to more important things. Yes. Like what we, all the things we saw in the meeting yeah, tonight. we saw a lot. So we had a public forum. We finished a zoning meeting. We had two big policy decisions that we made. Um, yeah, that, that was the crux of it. So we'll we'll take those in order, I suppose. Um, public forum. Public forum tonight. Couple of speakers on other topics. Um, quick shout out to one of them, one of the leaders of our uh, Charlotte Youth Council that's administered by Generation Nation. Um, young man came, I think he said a junior at Hawthorne High School. Um, I don't remember his name. I think Jalen. Well, if you have Rose. it in front of you, um, but he was Jalen Rose, very well spoken, incredibly poised, and I think demonstrates uh, a lot about what's great about that Charlotte Youth Council that Generation Nation does. Um, but most of our speakers were there tonight to talk about um, 
the request, the compensation request of uh, our police department and our fire department. It was glorious to see all of those men and women and in, in, in their police and fire, what was it, the dress the dress uniforms. The, the, I mean, I, I, I nothing makes me happier than seeing that group in there, over 100 folks. And I'll tell you this, um, had we not had all kinds of weird things come up in, in, in our closing statements tonight, I, I was going to say this there, but I'll say it now. I, I am so proud of that group of people. There are so many different ways they could have gone about showing the community and city council and the city manager that they are fed up and tired of the pay situation, of the uh, of the retirement benefits, all those things. They could have, you know, tried to go out and strike, or they could. They decided to again take from their personal time off, which isn't very much, and go away from their families and dress up and come in front of us and professionally describe why they love their jobs so much and why this is something we need to address. So I'm incredibly proud. And it's, you know, they're so humble of servants that we can take them for granted sometimes because it's a lot of times the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, it's, It's easy to forget what they go through every day. And to hear those stories, I think was incredible. And my commitment back to them, you know, I think that, you know, I'm learning how to be a councilman as you are, right? And we're four months, five months in. So we're, we're nearly professionals at this point. But um, there are times when you need to step back and let the manager and others do their job. And there are times when it's time to take a stand ahead of time and let everyone know exactly where you are. And I want to do that right now. And I've been doing it. This topic warrants it. So I, I, I don't care if we get handed a budget that solves global warming, that solves you know, world peace and world hunger all buckled up into one. If it doesn't address police and fire in an extraordinary manner from what they ask, have asked for and what they need, I'm a no vote on the budget, straight up. And, you know, maybe that's just a people don't care. It's just one dissenting voice. But this is that important to me. And I hope the manager really wants a, you know, a, a complete 11-0 vote on this. And, we'll, and, and I think he's doing the right thing. We just... You know, it's it's in his hands, so we got to see what comes out of that. I agree with you on every point um, as it relates to our our police officers, our firefighters. But I, you know, I honestly don't know. It, I don't know if there was any anywhere left to move the needle. I mean, we I think we had heard uh, a lot of these points, and honestly, I think if if as a council person you weren't already convinced, you weren't going to be convinced now. Um, now, that being said, I think everyone pretty much was convinced. I think most all of us have come out in some form or another. You and I have both done so um, to some degree on this podcast and said we want to do right by our first responders. And I have said on this podcast, I believe, that um, that I don't want to do anything for police that I can't also do for fire, uh, that I'm not going to draw a line in between them. I think the manager has even come out and said he is um, you know, literally turning over every rock to find um, a way to fulfill some of the requests that have been made by our first responders. So, um, you know, I, I guess it never hurts to kind of keep the, the steady pressure up. Uh, I don't know that it was necessary tonight because I think most of the council members had already pretty well made up their mind and pretty well voiced those desires to the manager. I think the manager has been very receptive of that, has responded in kind, and um, 
So, I, you know, I don't know. That. Not everyone has voiced it strongly to the manager. If 11 people and a mayor went to the manager and said, do something extraordinary, I think that would be a different situation. I think a couple of us well, have been you don't know what conversations really, people have and haven't had. But I, I know the conversations I've heard in various committee meetings and other things where everyone kind of, no one wants to be against that. But I, I, I feel like standing up and screaming about this one. I mean, well, this one I, is just so important to me. This is not a limb at all to go out on. I, I will say we're going to see um, in the very near future the manager's kind of first proposed budget. Yep. I think there will be a material um, – sort I'm looking for right now? Uh, material difference in the sort of – I don't know. the what In the way that we show our appreciation to our first responders than there has been in years past. Yeah. I don't – you know, I certainly don't think it's going to fulfill every single request to the full extent of the request, but I do think that um, there will be a clear declaration of our commitment to our first responders in the manager's first budget. I don't yeah. think it will require us to send him back to the drawing board, um, not in any big way. So, And that's why I'm trying to be purposeful in my words of not sp- saying specifically X percent here, this, yeah. that, this. I want it to be... You know, they, they know better. They've got people analyzing all of this, hearing what it's everyone sees. It's significant or it's not. Exactly, exactly. Um, and we'll be able to tell right away at a glance yeah. if it's significant or not. But I want to give them the flexibility to do that. So hopefully that ends up being the case. But, um, you know, I just I can't I can't thank all of those men and women who took time away from their families in some of the very, you know, sparse time off they actually have to come tell us their stories in such a professional and productive way. We're really lucky to have them. Um, so that was the bulk of our public forum. We then went into, we went into two big policy decisions, one of which ended up being, uh, pretty easy, open and shut for the most part. Um, and one of which extended far beyond, I think what anybody expected. So the first one we did, we gotten a lot of emails, um, sustained Charlotte had sent out a call to action oh, yeah. and had uh, told people to reach out to us and voice their God, support. God, I voted no on a lot of stuff today. <laughs> for the uh, for the sidewalks. And we didn't spend too much time on that because we'd spent a decent amount of time on it in the Transportation Planning Committee meeting earlier today where a lot of us got to ask some questions and get some better clarification. Um, so, you know, we, we did close the sidewalk loopholes. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Perfect plan, probably not, but I think it's better than where we were. Um, and yeah. I, I knew it was going to pass, but, uh, you know, uh, and I am for it. And I tried to make that clear in my comments. I am for more sidewalks. I'm for the closing of loopholes to make it to make it work. But the two things that bothered me were, one, you know, they kept going back and citing all these, you know, six meetings with the business community and this and that, yet back channel I'm hearing from the business community you know, we really don't like this part or this part we could have. So this is something that's impactful enough that I think everyone can get behind. Why didn't we have a unified group come to us and say, here's what it is? Because there's a lot of, of, of repercussions and impacts that can happen downstream here. And, and even beyond that, the real reason that I, I voted no, again, more out of principle because I knew it was going to pass, was that... Um, we kicked the can down the road yet again on making a tough decision in this city. One of which, you know, I brought up in committee today is 
we have contradicting ordinances and requirements all over the place. And in this specific case, our sidewalk ordinance contradicts and it, it, with our tree safe uh, ordinance. So I would love us to not create more of a bureaucratic big government process around, oh, well, there's a guy who now or a lady who, you know, will, will, will go through and kind of uh, make a decision. Why don't we write down which one wins? Why don't we write down black and white that when this situation occurs, sidewalks win over trees or vice versa and make us take a stand. I feel like everyone it's I don't know which answer is right. But I know what my gut feeling is everyone backs away and doesn't want to make a tough decision that uh, there's an activist group out there that now is going to get pissed at us. When the, In a city as big as Charlotte, I don't think you can just assume that every case is the same rule is going to work as well. So I, I think it's hard to draw that black and white line. And, and I made an analogy earlier You that didn't resonate with you, but... Um, where I do think there's there's cases where common sense needs to win out, and common sense sometimes requires a rule that that can be flexible based on the situation. I think if you're looking at sidewalks and and behind the sidewalk you've got a, a big forest of trees, then it might be more important to have the sidewalk than one street tree that has to come out. Whereas if you're in the middle of some very dense built out area that has almost no trees, maybe we prioritize the tree more. So I, or or where traffic's slower, maybe it's not as important to have that extra safety of the um, of the eight-foot buffer. So I, I, I do think that different circumstances call for different applications of, of a rule. And so I don't think you can just say sidewalks always beat trees, trees always beat sidewalks. Um, in general, I want to place the safety of our, of our citizens first. So I, you know, in all things being equal, maybe lean towards sidewalks. But again, I don't want to deprioritize trees in this city. Do you hear that, tree people? Come get Larkin right now. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think, like I said, I think different things call for different applications. And, um, you know, I'm. But here's the reality of the problem. And, and again, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. There are, you know, there are nuances that black and white policy can't always solve. But people lose in the private sector and developers, petitioners lose so much time in the petitioning process, rezoning, all that stuff, by going back and forth to different departments, you're like, no, the tree safe, that's what you got to do here. No, the sidewalks, that's what you got to do. And no one's talking. I think this arbiter in the middle is a step in the right direction. And yeah. I told staff that today. But why still have an arbiter who's like, let's tell them our principle, our policy is sidewalks over trees unless x y or z to your point you know you're it, there's yeah. a whole force behind it versus not what, why don't we make a call on what's more important to us so that the private sector knows going into it yeah i don't know i mean i one thing you said you, you heard from a lot of people that felt uh unsatisfied with the way this this came out but uh, a lot is two or three well i was gonna say because <laughs> but I, they're but they're influential two or three heard, in the note because i heard from one i heard from one person that was that didn't think this was a good idea, and I heard from a hundred that did. Now a lot of people, every even the people I heard from that didn't like where it was, still agreed it was a good idea. They just either didn't agree how we got there, cleaner, or yeah. or there were some angles um, that could have been made more clear. I mean, people we we now know well don't hesitate to voice dissent, mm -hmm. and so um, you know maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot saying this because it just encourages more mass emailing, but. Uh, if I don't hear any dissent, or I hear one voice of dissent, um, I'm going to assume that that there's not that much dissent because the people who are against something 
are 10 times more likely based on my anecdotal email inbox evidence to reach out to us and tell us they're against it than people are to say they're for it. So um, I hadn't heard much against it. I had heard a lot for it. And in, as a general principle, I'm for it myself. So uh, it was an easy decision for me. I'm totally for it. It Our, just could have been made better. And it was more for me knowing that it was going to be approved to, to, to make a point. I don't, I don't mind. Great, don't let great be the enemy of good, my friend. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Uh, Every, everything, everything we do could probably be better. Uh, but I think at some point we have to make incremental gain. I think this was incremental gain. Um, and speaking of incremental gain, we had another big policy. Oh, man. And actually, as I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking back about the rezoning hearings we had tonight, they were mostly pretty boring. Yep. So I say we just throw those out. Deal. Uh, and we can, we can wrap up on what took far and away the most time tonight, which was our second policy decision. And the most heated. And it was around affordable housing. So there were three components to it, two of which were, were pretty much non-controversial. Uh, one was a waiver on the locational policy for a couple of uh, developments of uh, mixed income housing. Um, one was on supporting, in theory, because we don't know yet which ones will be selected by the state for uh, state incentives, in theory, demonstrating our support, committing our support to some 9% affordable tax projects. Um, the third thing, which was the one that, that created some uh, heated debate, was around the 4% projects, which cost more and yield less. So without going into a 30-minute explanation of all this, the 9% deals, our community any given year is going to get two to three of those. Um, and that's determined by by who gets, uh, who kind of wins the competition for them at the state level, then we fund those. So I think you'd agree, every 9% deal that comes before us, we're going to support because we know we're only going to get two or three of them. If whatever ones the state's willing to put those dollars into, we're going to be behind it. So those are always going to be non-controversial votes. 4% deals are not competitive, um, so to speak. And so there can be an infinite number of them, theoretically. Um, they do tend to be more expensive. They're not going to yield as many units at as low an AMI, area median income. Um, and so that's where the, I think the contention was tonight. Yeah, and um, I'm looking at the... Uh our buddy Steve Harrison over the Observer has already launched his his article that's on the main page. Charlotte City Council backs new low income housing, but vote reveals deep divide. And you know, I, yeah, I, we love Steve, but bum bum bum. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a deep divide because we're all very much aligned to solving this. We've all made this a priority. I, I think now what you're starting to see is as especially some of us newer folks, the lights just turned on in here. It was totally dark before, so we, we have to readjust. Um, you know, before, while we were ramping up, especially the new, the new uh, council members on board here, um, you know, we've been evolving. Our view has definitely, I can speak for myself, my view has definitely been evolving. And I think what I've finally realized here is that um, we can't keep doing the same old thing. And when you look at this 9% money, that's great, right? Uh, over 25% of that's going to the area of greatest need in this crisis we're facing, which is 30% AMI and below. But when you look at $9.5 million that's going to be directed towards this 4% money, and again, d d for layman's purpose, 9% money, like Larkin said, it's highly competitive, but it's a great deal of federal money coming and helping, and you can do a lot more, and strings are attached to get more of what you want. 4% money, not competitive. And 
it's really up to us where we put that money, but there is no mandate for certain percentages of where the area uh, of most need is from AMI perspective. So my point, in, and I, I just disagreed with the mayor when she said, look, guys, it's, it's $9.5 million. I mean, you know, let's just do it. I mean, that's 20% of the $50 million that we're debating breaking all records and dumping into the housing trust fund. That is 20%. And, and again, I think this is the, the broadest point I have is, one, we have to, we have to do something different and in, innovative here. And the old way of doing things is looking at land cost and throwing money at it. And we also need to impact the area of greatest need, which is under 50% AMI and really under 30% AMI. So I, I'm just, I'm frustrated by still doing the same old things, throwing $9.5 million and basically getting 20 affordable housing units or 7% of the whole thing for all that money. And then really to find out that it's not actually the unit itself. It's a, it's a, it's a stipend. It's a, uh, it's a rental subsidy that's making that happen. Well, so it's just well, it's frustrating it's to me. It doesn't solve. The, the project that created the most contention uh, was the Sugar Creek, which it's all affordable, depending on what you're looking at and calling affordable. It's all at 60% area median income. Um, which, you know, I think there is a need. You you pointed out there is a far less critical need at like 80%. I think there is a need at 60. It's, it's not as great as the need at 30. I'll grant you all that. But I think on a couple of fronts, one, if, if we've got instances where the state um, is investing money or if we ever have instances where, where there's federal dollars involved, we, we can leverage our dollars to support a project that also has support from other government governmental bodies 9% money. Um, well and the 4% to a lesser extent there's that there's that state level support too so the other thing that that I had a problem with and you, and you had voiced um, you had pushed back some we had our uh, na- yeah, housing right. and neighborhood development five, retreat, six hour retreat five on and a half Friday. hour retreat on Friday and you had pushed back some so you have a leg to stand on and, and pushing back tonight other members of council had not pushed back on Friday and then found reasons to push back tonight. And that bothered me. And, yeah. um, and in one instance, we had a council member who, and I went back to the minutes and, and pulled this out from last month's meeting when we rezoned this same property on Sugar Creek. And at that time argued that we shouldn't do it because it would be concentrating poverty. And then tonight was saying that we weren't, these units weren't going to be for low income enough. Look, these people weren't going to be low income enough. And so it's the exact opposite argument on the exact same property. And so I pointed out the disconnect there and, and was frustrated by that. But, um, you know, I so to me, it was almost more of a, a process thing where you can't make one argument one month and, and the exact opposite argue, argument the other month. And you can't have a five and a half hour housing and neighborhood development retreat on Friday where we talk about all this, including the specifics of some of these projects and, and not voice concerns. But then wait till we get to the dais on Monday and and start pulling stuff out. So I, you know, to me, it was more, I was more frustrated by maybe what I saw as, as a a poor process in the discussion of the thing. Not that there weren't some reasons to, to question it. Um, Ultimately, I mean, I, you know, the manager was in support of it. Our, our housing experts on the city staff were in support of it. Mayor was in support of it. Um, and I think we've got to use all the tools in the toolbox. This is one of them. Is it the best one? Is No, it's not as good as 9% deals, but we know we're only going to get two or three of those a year. Um, so we can't compare everything to the best option we have when the best option we have can only be applied 
to two or three situations per year, probably for just a couple hundred units. We've got to go to other tools. They're not going to be as as perfect as as that one. That's but, right. Um, and you know that 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 all that's very valid points, and I agree. And that's so the nine percent money, right? We're on average going to can expect three deals, like you said. Those deals are capped at a hundred units. So at best. We're talking 300 units out of that yep. money every year. And 25% of them are mandated for 30% AMI and below. And nobody goes above that. <laughs> so that's 70, 75 units per year will be in that area of greatest need. So that is not relevant. So then you look relevant to the problem that we are trying to completely solve for. So if you look at all of our money, and, and this is, this is well, my I think kind I have of- to stop saying that too. We're, we're, We'd, in in theory, we'd like to completely solve this problem. In reality, we're never going to completely solve this problem. So we have to do the best we can with the resources and the and the opportunities we have. So I'm glad you said that because our purpose, and I agree with that, we are not going to solve this problem. Our purpose, though, in what we do, in being innovative, in taking our money, our taxpayers' money, is 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 meant to, in my opinion, inspire. All the other parties in the private sector and the faith communities and everything to say, oh, I see. I see the path and we can be part of the solution. And we have a bunch of rocks in our hand, one handful, small of that. And we have the option to throw those rocks all at once in the water and barely make a splash or figure out really smart ways of splashing them and throwing them one at a time. This is a terrible analogy. It's a terrible analogy, right? But you get my point here, hopefully, which is... If we are not inspiring through every dollar we're spending, all these other parties to say, I see how this can be solved now. It will never be solved and we will have wasted our money. We will have absolutely wasted it. Even, and you might say, oh, getting 75 AM, uh, 30% below AMI units is not a waste. We've got, that's, that's true, but it's, it's a waste as it relates to what our mission is. Our mission is to inspire to actually get the problem solved, not solved for 75 when the need is 19,500. Well, again, that's the limitations on one tool in our toolbox, and and that's just the reality of the way that those are, are granted. So we can't do but as much as we're doing on those 9% deals. There have to be other tools, and that's what we spent five and a half hours talking about in the housing retreat on Friday. Um and, and I do think we have people in the private sector who see the commitment that this council um, has made and, and is following through on, and they are going to step up to the plate when they see uh, that we put a bigger bond on. The, I don't know the they will. That, that's that. Well, I, they, they people will step up to the plate. There's, there's certainly but if, there's if, been a lot of talk, and I and, and from people who uh, usually aren't just talk but are action, and so I, I think we have people in this community that are going to step up in a meaningful way to support the. The fact that we're stepping up and we're we're kind of stepping out. I, I think it I think I think it will be a matter of how they view it. And it, it, it it's a if they view it as this is a charitable contribution to me being part of a community and getting some good press out of it and and and, and that's my real value prop, they will give that amount of money, which I think will be a smaller amount. If they view it this city council, while not the not the end all owner of this has taken a lead role in showing us a path, and now it's our turn, and we can see, they've inspired us. We can see the path. I think that's a real money we're talking at that point. So the we will get money. The question is, is it is it in scenario A or B at, at, from a level perspective? And, you know, I, I'd like to figure out the solution here, but we're not going to solve it if we keep using the age-old approaches 
of throwing money at land. Well, we're not going to solve it tonight either. So, <laughs> dude, we were low energy. Uh, I think for this episode. Yeah, well, I'm feeling they, beat well, down. Maybe people will stop complaining about you blowing their ears out by screaming on That's everything. True. So you're tonight. You're just a dull roar. You're welcome, everybody. And there we go. <laughs> so All what right. do you got to do? You got a I'm, dog I'm at home? home? I got What's a dog it? who's been uh, cooped up and is probably ready to see his dad. So I'm you, signing off. You, you seem can keep tired. talking if you want. You but, seem so uh, tired. I'm going to go ahead and call episode 16 a wrap. Let's let's, let's go ahead and do that. But, you... but before we do, quick reminder, iTunes, Spotify. We're on Spotify <laughs> now. I don't know if we told you that yet. Um, we're on every app that you'd want us to be on. And... We've got a Facebook page, and we've got an iTunes page. We got some cool media shout-out, didn't we, uh, this we did. we last were, week? We were in um, Style Blueprint today, and uh, there was apparently, while we were in our meeting tonight, the WBTV roundtable that we filmed at King's Kitchen was uh, on. So yeah, I need to I haven't had a that. chance to watch it. Hopefully it went well. Uh, but if you want to, check it out. Maybe it didn't go well, so there might be something to see there. Yeah, we should have probably screened it before we yeah, uh, plugged we'll, it. We'll, we'll assume it was good. Um, but thanks to all, all of y'all for listening. And uh, we don't have a meeting next week. Oh, yeah. So we do have an economic development meeting on Thursday. We might do an episode next week. You'll just have to keep an eye out and, uh, and we'll stay play, tuned. Play here. We don't have a council meeting next Monday, uh, though we do have a legislative meeting at the airport. There's a lot of stuff going on. So we might we might have to come in and do a, a off-week episode stay tuned to find out yeah who knows what tweets or facebook posts are going to pop up in the next week anything could happen anything can happen ladies and gentlemen we'll either see you next week or the week after that's episode 16 in the books you're listening to r&d in the qc with tarik bakari and mark and eggleston 